The following is a presentation of the Chicago Bears Network and ChicagoBears.com. Download the Chicago Bears official mobile app for up-to-the-minute Bears content every day. And now, welcome to Bears All Access, your all-access pass into Chicago Bears football. Bears All Access is brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Athletical Physical Therapy and CDW. Everybody, welcome into another edition of Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy with my broadcast partner Tom Thayer from News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. I'm Jeff Joniak, and we'll be cranking it up on WBM. Another home game Sunday, Big Tom Bears Colts. 3 and 0 Jeff. Every time I'm introduced and doing some type of piece like this on the radio or something, they always say the 3 and 0 Chicago Bears. It's nice to hear. Yeah, it is for a change indeed. They'll try to go 4 and 0 for the first time since 2006. Our producers Jordan Treadup, Dan Brilly, Tom, we got conversations coming up with Colts analyst and veteran NFL coach Rick Venturi, Roquan Smith, a chunk of our feature interview and our Bears player profile that airs on Bears Game Day live Sunday morning, 10:30 a.m. on Fox, and we'll be joined by Bull- Brook native Anthony Heron, a staple on Bears post game live on Fox 32. And Tom, it was great to hear starting left guard James Daniels on Zoom on Friday meeting the media. We don't hear from him very often, but it sounds like he's very glad to be rid of talking about the move from center to guard. First, I mean, the best question has been not answering like the center guard questions. I mean, every time I interviewed the media, I always got those type of questions. And it was just, it's just annoying to constantly have to explain myself and answer the questions constantly. So the first, that's the first thing that I like playing one position. The second thing is, I mean, yes, it was, this was my first camp, like running with like the first team offense with like at guard. So it was nice to be able to like with like during camp to get combos with Cody and combos with Leno like throughout the entire camp. When I listen to that, when I hear James at this stage of his career do an interview like that, I hear everything I want to hear, and that's attitude. That's the attitude of an offensive lineman. And he that's about keeping it in between the white lines. It's not taking it outside and having that type of attitude as he walks around. But when he's on the field, and I heard you say something, he's putting in extra credit or doing no, extra no. work. Or- well, you know, this is a scout. <laughs> I, said it, you- I, I, said, <laughs> I said it. I said it with Mully and Haw on Friday morning on my 8 a.m. hit. Uh, scouts say about nasty offensive linemen, he's looking for work, meaning he has his assignment. Yes. He wins his assignment, one that's over with, or if it doesn't present itself, he's going to hit somebody. And right now, James Daniels, from a scouting terminology, is looking for work. He's yeah. he's hitting guys. He's helping out Charles Leno. He's going after guys. He's extremely physical, getting them down to the ground. That's the key ingredient to a successful running game is the off- the uncovered offensive alignment getting to the second level and being able to make an efficient block. And when he talks about working with Cody or Charles Leno Jr., most of the times of that, the details of that job is getting up to the second level, that linebacker level. All right, we're going to also hear from offensive coordinator Bill Lazor. He's going to be talking about Nick Foles, knows him from seven years ago. Getting to know him now with a coaching staff that knows him very well as he makes his Bears debut as a starter, his 49th career start. Uh, your, your man, offensive line coach Juan Castillo, with lots of conversation about what uh-huh. he wants out of the tackles. Bobby Massey on the right side, Charles Leno on the left side. How would you evaluate their performance so far? Because really, 
I hate doing that because it's about the five guys. It's the dancing troop right there, the guys all together working in sync. But the tackles, how do you think they've looked? You know, you look at um, the, the amount of safety they've shown in their game, a really limited amount of penalties associated to either the snap count, no crowd noise, um, holdings, and those types of things. So I think that's a key ingredient there. And then when James talks about how he has the ability to go and work with Cody, Cody's working with James Daniels, but he's also trying to break in five new tight ends in, um, you know, that require their element in, in helping to do his job. Bobby Massey, I think they're both playing well. Um, I think it's because there's a lot of attitude and expectation that Juan b- brought along with them. So he wasn't going to be satisfied for what they did on the line of scrimmage. It's what they do from the line of scrimmage and beyond. Coming up next, former NFL linebacker Anthony Heron joins the program. This is Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by Microsoft Surface and CDW. People who get it, learn more at CDW.com. Jeff Joniak, Tom there, and our special guest for the very first time on Bears All Access <laughs> right here on 670 The Score. No stranger to 670 The Score is former NFL linebacker, former University of Iowa Hawkeye, <laughs> and all-around media guy, Anthony Heron, uh, otherwise known as Ant. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, Jeff. Yeah, good to be with you in town, man. It's always good to cross paths over there at Fox 32. And, of course, listening to you guys all the time. Excited to get this discussion rolling here. Is that a Hawkeye blanket sitting on your, uh, you know, I'm an Iowa Stater, so I got to give you the business a little bit. Got to give you the business a little bit. Hey, uh, is this, uh, so you're doing just about everything. So you got a a finger on the pulse of Pac-12, Big Ten, college football, NFL. Uh, Are you enjoying this experience now, post-playing career? I am, very much so, and especially getting to do it back here in my home, sweet home Chicago, now like I have for a little while here, because for for a minute, the weird thing was, guys, we were actually, we moved back here, well, I'm saying back, I'm from here, my wife's from the East Coast, but we moved here downtown uh, in 2011, and it was actually right at the time, I'd, I'd been with the Big Ten Network the first three years of BTN prior to moving here to Chicago. We were living down south at that time, and I was coaching arena football down there when I was first getting into the the media business. And actually, it was the same year where NBC Sports took over Versus, turned it into NBC Sports Network. I got a, got a nice little offer from them to start calling games out west. So we moved to Chicago, and I stopped working with the Big Ten Network. And then from that point, most of my content was calling college football games during the fall, calling arena football games during the, the spring and summer. And so I was living here in downtown Chicago, Chicago for years doing absolutely nothing here with the with the city sports scene for a long time and then just as things continue to evolve now here for the last few years like you referenced been able to do some radio some tv in town and it's been fun as a kid growing up watching Tom play with the bears and you know seeing everything going on in this city consuming it on the various outlets and I'm getting to work for it now so it's been really great all right I got a couple of quick questions for you did you play for Johnny Ivlo at Bolingbrook High School I did not. I played for a guy, the Silver Fox, Phil Acton. So I do okay. know John Ivlo really well, but I predated him. I'm old enough for that. All right. Did you you played a couple of years in the in the Arena League, correct? Yeah. Did you, did you play both ways? Did you play? In a, yep. What'd you play? 
Uh, so I played – the position I played was known as tight end on offense. I was a tight end okay. and a defensive end. But for arena football, a tight end was essentially just another offensive lineman. I did have one career catch for one career touchdown, so I went one for one. But it was a, it's, it was a different sport. Like you, I'm sure at least seen a little bit of it where you got three guys up front on offense and on defense and even the fullback in the backfield that takes on like what they call the Mac linebacker. It's just another pass protector essentially. So they, the ball – wasn't throwing a lot to anyone else but i did have one catch all right last question about the arena league is so when you look at the that league what position do you think is realistically most transferable to the nfl is it the modern day fast thinking of quarterback or could it even be cornerback I think for for the quarterback position, and especially with the way the game has evolved at the NFL level, I really think there are a lot of mental traits. And, and by mental, I, I suppose I would include even just the muscle memory of quick reaction, anticipatory throws that have become an even broader part of the passing attacks in the National Football League now. Like Obviously, Kurt Warner is the most famous story of a guy who, who had success in the Arena League before transitioning to success he'd been in the nfl before but hadn't hadn't really had a shot or had any success at that level but to to have to throw the ball with with such rapid pace with such tempo and to be able to take that trait where obviously in in the arena league it's more confined but then to take that outdoors to the big field if you have the arm talent for it there have been guys beyond kurt warner that have been able to to make it at least you know varying degrees of success in that transition so i think quarterback is kind of the the chief position that that it seems most applicable for but the dbs are on an island man so when you're a defensive back in the arena league and you got you got a receiver coming in high motion screaming at you and you're one-on-one i mean to be a defensive back in the arena league you see a lot of carry over there too bowling brooks very own anthony heron our guest here on bears all access on chicago sports radio 670 the score you can catch anthony heron with luke canellis on bears post game live on fox 32 chicago yeah. uh, anthony as you analyze uh, the bears so far through three weeks uh, from your perspective uh, what are you seeing the good the bad and the ugly because it literally is a team meeting staple on tuesdays and it's literally called the good, the bad, and the ugly. What we've seen from the team so far, the encouraging thing is that they're able to sit here at 3-0 and while knowing there's still a whole lot of meat on the bone for where they can improve at. And I think, you know, up front on the offensive line, I've been really encouraged by by how the O-lines played for the most part this season. I would say you know, the third game was probably the, the least effective that they were up front on offense. And overall, there were still a lot of good things they did there. But because of the matchup, you didn't necessarily see the commitment to the run game from a, a play a game plan perspective I think overall that ends up affecting as Tom knows really well the way you end up blocking the consistency the rhythm you get in with the run game up front but my my big I suppose I'll use the term challenge that I sort of had over the offseason to Matt Nagy was to evaluate what what he felt like could best suit his personnel it, it felt to me at times like coach Nagy was calling the offense for, for what he felt like could be the best version of, of his quarterback, of his offensive line, what his system could really be. And it didn't necessarily seem like, and you know, we've all talked about Mitch Trubisky at nauseum here. It didn't seem like Mitch was at that point in his development yet where he could really handle it that way. And it didn't seem to me to always suit the O-line best. And I think the most important thing I've seen early this season is to me, the continued growth and development of Matt Nagy 
in-game play calling, the schematics of, of how he sort of operates the offensive game plan in-game against the opponents they've had so far. I've been really impressed with that. And I think the, you know, to use sort of a blanket term, the balance that we've seen from the Bears offense this season suits either quarterback now that it'll be Nick Foles. You don't need to see Nick Foles out there trying to throw it 45 or 50 times a game either. I think it suits the quarterback position. It has certainly benefited the offensive line immensely. And I believe week by week, we see a Bears defense where their conditioning is improving. I think we, we've seen Akeem Hicks play better in every single game. We see Khalil Mack being more of a force and an impact and a dominant player game by game. I even thought I thought last week while Danny Trevathan to me still didn't look like his old self, I thought he was moving better on the field, and we'll see if that ends up leading to more and more splash plays. Uh, probably the star, the standout to me, and I'm not surprised by it, but I'm really pleased to see it is Roquan Smith. I think he's playing at a Pro Bowl level every single game he stepped onto the field. I've been just so encouraged by yeah, what he's been doing. You had to just go right to the linebackers. I get it. I get it. That, that's your that's your game. I know Tom and I have talked about this too, about the conditioning. You bring up a great point because I'm hearing more and more from around the league coaches starting to say, okay, this is really entering now the fourth week of the preseason where yeah. you know the starters – didn't play much in the preseason, but I get the thinking because of the reduced offseason, everything condensed, you know, that was going to be a likely scenario. And they are seeing, uh, and Tom can agree, a, a lot more veteran days off for guys to keep their legs and get them built up for the long haul this season. Because honestly, guys, we don't know what's going to happen, a.k.a. Tennessee. Uh, you know, this could be a much longer season than we think. Agreed. And from a league-wide perspective, one thing I, I hope is that we see the NFL going to daily, or not not just daily, but testing on game day. I, I think that was something I, did, I didn't even realize, you know, testing six out of seven days when I hear the term daily testing. I thought the NFL was testing everyone seven days a week to learn they weren't testing players on game days. I, I thought, okay, that seems to be a, a hole in the system that's now been exposed by what happened with the Titans. And I hope that's something the league ends up shoring up because not only you know could it potentially put I suppose losing players on game day at risk sure it can but I think then you won't have the scenario we see playing out between Tennessee and Pittsburgh where now the following game is at risk because of not only players testing positive staff testing positive but the contact tracing associated with that but overall I, I, I love the approach Matt Nagy has taken with it he's taken it extremely seriously he's urged everyone within the Bears organization not just players not just coaches but everyone on the support staff as you guys know better than me he, he's been ringing that bell almost on a daily basis to make sure that folks uh, I, I love the way he phrases it don't just don't just act like someone you're in contact with has COVID act like you have yeah, COVID exactly. and always have that mask on and take it seriously and it seems like the Bears have been doing as well as they can with that so last week I said uh, Keen Hicks plays over 80 percent of the snaps Robert Quinn considerably less from what you watched in football the last eight or nine years to the present of Robert Quinn what do you want to see out of him that will affect the defense? To be to be a consistent impact in the pass rush is is to me the least to ask of Robert Quinn. He's he's at a point in his career where, you know, I through my lens, I, I think we, we kind of know what he is, who he is as a run defender. And I think that's where the combination of he and Barkevius Mingo at the opposing outside linebacker from Khalil Mack, how that's implemented, how those reps are split, I think will be key because Mingo, he's I think he's played better every week as well, but he's obviously not going to be Robert Quinn 
as a pass rusher, but what he can be and what I think he's showing a willingness to be is a guy who will attempt to be more stout against the run than perhaps he was at previous stops. My expectations aren't, frankly, as high of, of Robert Quinn in that regard, so maybe it, it is a thing where certain downs and distances, you make sure Robert Quinn is either in a certain part of the formation where that's not exposed as much, but certainly on passing downs, you don't want to see a situation where perhaps he's petered out by the fourth quarter a little bit. And I think that should continue each week because, as you guys know, he wasn't necessarily able to be on the field that much during the preseason. So as he gets in shape, I think you're going to see a really ferocious combo continue to emerge off the edge with Mack and Quinn. Who gets more touches, Cordero Patterson or David Montgomery? Mm. With, the, with, the, with the loss of uh, Tariq. Right. It's it's going to be David Montgomery, but I think we're going to see Cordero Patterson's role expand even more in the offense because he he has that Swiss Army knife ability similar to Tariq Cohen, where you're not always sure. Is, is he better at receiver? Is he better at running back? He's obviously the best kick returner in the National Football League. And I've, I've been really encouraged, really impressed by the growth he's shown as a back, getting his pad level down, running through the hole and things of that sort. So I think they're going to continue to find ways to utilize him to make the defense have to to account for Cordero Patterson. But overall, I think we're going to continue to see, as long as he can stay healthy, knock on wood, David Montgomery is going to get a lot of touches. And Cordero does run viciously. That's what I yeah. love about him. Ain't no messing around. He's getting uh, trying to get anyway north and south. He'll get an edge on you as well. All right, final question before I let you go, Anthony, and so appreciated here on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score we're brought to you by IGS Energy. Let's take a sneak peek at these Colts. Uh, what's your uh, indications in terms of what they're doing? Because the defense looks good and we know they play physical on the offensive line, and that's good enough for me right there to be you know, <laughs> I, I, aware of what's going on with the Indianapolis Colts. Right. Big time threat there. It's, you know, I've, I've talked to some Colts fans here and there, hear from them on occasion. I understand the frustration they have with, with seeing the way the organization set itself up with the, the personnel infrastructure to build around Andrew Luck. And then, you know, he made the decision that was best for he and for his family. But, you know, Philip Rivers is not a bad consolation prize, a guy who, who will potentially end up in the Hall of Fame at some point. I think Philip Rivers' best days are behind him personally. I, I, have, I have seen him, I believe, play with more efficiency week in and week out as they haven't had to ask him to do as much against Jacksonville. They asked him to do a lot. He threw a couple of interceptions and kind of looked like who Phillip Rivers has looked like the last couple of years of his career with, with key turnovers at really awful moments for his football team. Last couple of weeks, They've been able to control things with the ground attack, with that mammoth offensive line, with Jonathan Taylor, a a really excellent running back out of Wisconsin. And if that's going to be the formula that leads to success against the Bears, then they're going to be golden. But the Bears against, uh, I'd say, the best offensive line they've faced so far this season, we need to see them control that in, in some phases, I think, if they get them into predictable downs and distances, dominate that. You know, one of the one of the issues that Trubisky had at times was holding the ball, making quick reads. That won't be a problem for Phillip Rivers, and I think that he'll get the ball out of his hands quickly, like we saw last season. So the pass rush needs to affect the pocket, condense the pocket, make him sort of throw out out of a vacuum. And if they can, then they'll have a great shot at some takeaways, I think. And don't let that Big Ten product get going, Jonathan Taylor, (laughs) as we know he can. Anthony, we're going to let you go. Appreciate it. We'll see you on. uh, Fox Bears post-game live, and we'll be running into you here down the road quite a bit. You're doing some great work out there, so keep it up, and uh, good to talk to you. Really appreciate it, fellas. Talk again soon. Thanks, Anthony. All right, a lot more coming up as the Bears meet the Colts Sunday at noon at Soldier Field. Week 4 about to commence. This is Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
Welcome back to Bears All Access with Tom Thayer. I'm Jeff Joniak. We'll bring you the Bears and Colts starting at 9 a.m. on WBBM with Ron, Jim, and Jay in the pregame show. And then kickoff at noon at Soldier Field. Uh, Roquan Smith, Tom, uh, really, we all think that this is going to be a Pro Bowl year for him. He's off to a great start in terms of being active. He's done a great job in pass coverage. Yes, the running game is, is something that the entire defense needs to be held accountable for right now. They they are nobody's happy about it on that team or on that coaching staff, uh, giving up over five yards of carry on the run. But overall, uh, what has your been impression of Roquan Smith at the inside linebacker position? You know, he's a sideline-to-sideline linebacker. He, I think he's got all the capabilities to play really well against the run on the inside. The way he is able to read the movement of the offensive line and get in a, get in a pre-predicted position to help make a tackle – but I admire what he's able to do outside the tackle box. In the big picture, Roquan showed up in great shape. He rehabbed his injury very well in the offseason, being one of the few players who could be at Hattlesaw. And I, I raised this question to him in our sit-down that will air on Bears Game Day Live Sunday morning at 1030 on Fox. Did you, in a sense, reinvent yourself a little bit entering this season, given what you dealt with last season and how you felt about it? Absolutely. I feel like this season, I feel like I'm uh, playing at a, a high level right now. There's obviously some things that I uh, can improve on, and that's that'll never be uh, that'll never change. Actually, uh, there's always room for improvement. But I do feel like I'm playing really good fo- football right now, and so I definitely still have a chip on my shoulder, and I just want to continue to get better uh, each and every week. And I think uh, attacking uh, each and every week the way I am, I think that'll uh, happen. How would you put it in context for us? on how you did that, how you reinvented yourself. Was it physical as much as mental, emotional, spiritual, you name it, you pick it, you tell me. I think, honestly, I think it's a combination of uh, many things. Uh, just also knowing uh, my ability, so knowing my talents and knowing what I need to do to like achieve each and everything that I want to achieve. And then just also having the support of a lot of family, friends, teammates, and things of that nature, and just knowing what I'm capable of all, and then just going out each and every day and just chasing that and keeping a chip on my shoulder and just knowing where I once was. Yeah, uh, Matt Nagy often talks about this. Ryan Pace, too, what? What's a person's why? Why? You know, everybody in whatever walk of life they have has a why for why they work so hard to do something at this level. Well, what's your why? I would definitely say many. there's many individuals and everyone have their, has their different whys. I feel like my why is uh, where I'm from, uh, family, uh, and what I did to get in this position that I'm in. And it's just knowing that I never want to go back to where I once was, uh, like growing up in the country. I love the country, but like just being able to do things for myself, do things for others, and just knowing not I never want to go back to where I once was. So that's my main why and my family. If you had to self-analyze yourself, self-scout yourself, what part of your game that you may have looked at and said, you know what, I need to do a lot more of this. I know I got to get better and everything, but I got to do a lot more of this. What, what would it be? Going into the year, I was more so focusing on uh, just like my coverage, just like even because I know I can cover really good, uh, but I, I don't think it, I've always showed that, but just more so focusing on the covering. So that was my thing going into this year. So pretty much uh, a lot of my coverage situation, I felt like I've been doing um, pretty good, and it's just about building on that. And then uh, I think as I continue to keep getting better at that, I think uh, the sky's the limit with that as well. Is there a lot more on the table for you here as a Chicago Bear with this great tradition of linebackers? that you would like to attain, that is in your mind. You may not have publicly stated it, or maybe you have it written down somewhere. What's the private side of Roquan Smith 
that maybe he's got some goals in there that, that we'd like to know about? Absolutely. I feel like I have many goals uh, in the back of my mind. I think uh, first and foremost, I want to be the best uh, possible player I can for this team organization and with my teammates, as well as going down as one of the greatest uh, Chicago Bears uh, linebackers to uh, ever play. And the ring is one of the obvious things. So it's just about just chipping away one game at a time and chasing my legacy uh, with that. You know, I have high expectations for him, just like everybody else does. And I'm glad he has those for himself. He's really turning and taking the leadership here and a, a lot of responsibilities in this defense. Coming up next, Rick Venturi, the color man of the Indianapolis Colts and a homegrown Bears fan as a kid growing up in the 50s indicator. It's next on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Welcome back to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. Choose clean energy for your home at IGS.com because every good choice adds up to a better world. With Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak, pleased to be joined by our special guest to look at the Indianapolis Colts, give us some perspective, is a football lifer. There's no other way to describe Vic Venturi. Uh, a Taylorville-born Illinois product who played his high school football as a quarterback at Rockford Auburn, then switched to Pekin High School before going to Northwestern, where he played quarterback in the mid to late 60s and defensive back, and then Purdue, Illinois, Northwestern, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the Colts, the Saints, the Rams, and head coaching in there as well, exhausting. And now at the age of 74, you decide to dip your toe back in the water, and you're the color analyst of the Indianapolis Colts. You can't take the football out of you, Big Rick. No, you're exactly right. I've got I've got one theory. Uh, you know, aging is a process, and getting old is a decision. And I, I won't make that decision. So I'm really thrilled to be back in the game, so to speak, as you guys know. Sometimes it just it just doesn't leave your bones, does it? The game. It, it does not, will not. I grew up in a coaching family. You know, both my dad and my brother are in the Illinois High School Football Coaches Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm the only guy that held the family back. So, but it's, uh, no, it's really great. You know, uh, it's, a, it's this is a great weekend for me. The Bears were the, you know, the team of my youth. And really, the Colts have become the team of my life. So it's really a good battle that I'm looking forward to. Hey, Rick, a uh, question for me for only one of your past stops, and that's Northwestern. Have you had a chance to look or see at their new facility they have over there? You know, I really I really haven't. I, I've heard nothing but great things about it. Uh, it would it would it would probably be tough for me <laughs> if you would have looked at those facilities in '78. They were a little bit different than they are today. But no, they, they you know they're spending a lot of money. They're certainly on the right track. So on to the Indianapolis Colts. When you think about these guys bringing in a veteran like Phillip Rivers and what that quarterback position has meant to this organization, you know, over the last 25 years with Peyton and Luck, where are they at right now? Is this, you know, is this a guy that they really feel that can fill this void for two or three years? Or what do you think? Yeah, I, I think they really do, and he, he's really off to a good start. You know, I think they've kind of found their way uh, in the in the in the second two ball games after kind of laying an egg in Jacksonville, throwing forty six passes. 
you know, they've, they've only thrown four. Uh, Phillips only thrown 46 now in the last two games. But what they've done is they've recovered their really elite running game from 19, which is was number five, you know, and now added it with Rivers with a very quick rhythm, decisive, uh, get the ball out, keep you off balance. And uh, I like the identity, and they're a little bit different team. And I think – what you're seeing in Phillip is, you know, he's a real smart guy. He really understands that. And so, you know, after week one, I mean, he's not turning it over. He's had one turnover. It was a, you know, it was a bounce. It was a carom play that was had nothing to do with him. And I think he's really comfortable in the fact that uh, Coles can play with balance. Plus, you know, and I don't know if it lasts, but they're playing lights out defense. So, you know, this is a team that he can be a little bit more of a complimentary part. You know, he and Frank Wright have a great relationship from back to the San Diego days when Reich was the coordinator. So, I mean, he was ready day one and in a, you know, a year like 220. That ended up being more critical than we thought. And so, yeah, I think that he, you know, if it, if it keeps going like it's going, I, I think you'll see more Rivers after this year. Is this the perfect marriage between young Jonathan Taylor, who's got explosiveness, but with this offensive line where where they can complement each other when you talk about being balanced on offense? Yeah, you know, I think that's a good point. You know, we lost a heck of a player in Marlon Mack, 1,000-yard young kid. Uh, but, you know, Chris Ballard looks like a genius today for moving up in that second round and getting Jonathan. There's nothing I don't like about Jonathan. He runs low to the ground. Uh, he can break it. He was a four-three-nine guy coming out. Very hard to tackle, more elusive than you think. He's got a couple compliments with Hines, who's a kind of a loose play, our version of what Cohen was to you guys. Um, you know, and then he, he's got a kid, Wilkins, who can come in and spell him. But Jonathan has really added that to it. But I think the key, too, though, is the balance. I mean, a year ago when we couldn't throw it, people caught up with us. They just beat us with numbers on the run, which, you know, as a defensive coordinator, I know you can do. But now when you have to defend Rivers on first down, it makes it a lot better. But Jonathan, I just think the sky's the limit. You know, knock on wood, he's durable. You know, 6,000 yards in college, 6'7", in a, you know, in a tough league and in a league where everybody knew Wisconsin was going to run it. So, yeah, that ended up being a terrific move. Rick Venturi, our guest here on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score, the radio analyst this year for the Indianapolis Colts. All right, there is an obsession for old-time football guys uh, like myself. I, I, I love the history of the game. I love rugged play up front. I love nastiness. And that pretty much encompasses Quentin Nelson, doesn't it? Tell us about him a little bit. Yeah, he's kind of, you know, he's a generational alignment, uh, you know, and as an offensive guard, you know, Tom, as an offensive lineman, you don't always get the credit. The only time you're, the only time you're ever noticed is if you give up a sack. Nelson is a tremendous athlete. Um, he is a road grader, but he's an athlete that can protect he brings a quiet nastiness to this team that this team really needed. I mean, he will put you on the ground and he will drive you into the ground. You know, like I say, he has generational talent. And incidentally, this is one of the better offensive line. I think Costanzo at left tackle is really an under the radar guy. Kelly at center is a pro bowler. Our, our right tackle, uh, Braden Smith 
it was the number two draft pick, but he's actually played like a one. So, you know, you made a good point. I mean, this team is complemented running-wise with a really good offensive line, and so with a quick rhythm passing game, it all kind of go into place. But, you know, Nelson is a throwback guy to the, you know, as you say, the old days, you know, where, where there was no rules between the tackles. Eric, tell us about Mo Cox, the young tight end that is really blossoming right now. Yeah, he was a, another, this was a, a free agent selection by Ballard two years ago, a project, if you will, uh, you know, ba- basketball, no college football. And he has just grown. He's a huge man. When you look at him, you would never think basketball player. You just think a big, big man that blocks out the sun. But he's very, very athletic. Uh, with Doyle out, he is emerging. Uh, you know, I think where he really gives us something because – you know, our receivers, we've struggled at times in the red zone because we our receivers haven't been very big. He gives you that big bank board guy uh, that you can get a matchup problem with. He runs a little bit better than you think. You know, he's a body control guy. And, you know, those are the kinds of guys that you need in the red zone when he gets really the space is tight. You're getting it out of Graham. You get it out of Robinson. And we need to get somebody along with him. We've taken a little hit at Whiteout with the loss of Campbell, you know, and then the loss of Pittman for three weeks. So we're patched up a little bit there. I I think uh, Hilton really has to rise to the occasion. But you're exactly right. Mo Alley really gave uh, gave us a shot in the arm last week. Hey, you speak, Rick, speaking of shot in the arm, was Xavier Rhodes and DeForest Buckner on that defense? And you think about Buckner on the line of scrimmage and what Xavier Rhodes can and will do in the defensive backfield. How important was it to bring in a couple of veterans like that to this defense? Well, and, and there were two kind of separate decisions. There was no big decision on Buckner. Buckner, we gave up 13th pick. But, I mean, why would you not give up a 13th pick for a three-time Pro Bowler? I mean, there, there's nobody in the draft that could ensure themselves they were going to get a Pro Bowler. I don't care if it's one or 300. So, I mean, that move we knew. Plus, he has a great work ethic. He's only 24, I think. And he, he, you, know, you watch him. He runs sideline to sideline at 6'7". So, I mean, he's a, he's a core guy as well as a blue chip guy. And he, you know, now that we're playing much better coverage, you're starting to feel him. He will – he can he can penetrate – and really pierced the inside. Rhodes was a little different. Rhodes came off a really bad year. He was just expendable. Uh, we picked him up. And what the Colts have done is they made a real stylistic change from game one to game two. Actually, from two years to game two. You know, we've been before that, we've been giving up 75 to 80% soft zone, bend, don't break. And after that Jacksonville game, when Minshew went 19 out of 20, you know, wherever it came from, Eberfluss or whatever, uh, we called off the jam. And for two weeks now, for eight quarters, we've been up pressing and getting after it. And, you know, it's not only made our coverage better, harder to throw into, it's bought that extra step for the defensive line. Rhodes, you know, was player of the week this week. I mean, he had a pick six, and then he had a big red zone stop. Yeah, I mean, that, and along with T.J. Carey, who, you know, was kind of the same thing, big year in 18, not 19. So, you know, in some ways, Ballard has gone out and got a couple bargains at corner that so far, knock on wood, have really paid off. Rick Venturi, our guest here on Bears All Access. Uh, before we let you go, get a little thought on the Bears and then take us back to 50s and 60s. You say you were a Bears guy, so need some memories from you. In the 50s, growing up in Decatur, Illinois, I mean, it was Chicago Bears or no one. I, you had one game a week. 
And I always remember, believe it or not, I, I think it was on CBS. I don't even know, but uh, I mean, I, I remember listening and watching Red Grange do the color, believe it or not. He, he always <laughs> referred to Rick Caceres as Rick Caceres. I used to just love it in Har- uh-huh. Harlan Hill. And then, and then of course in the sixties, you know, then you, the 63 team was Bill George when I'm in high school that, you know, the, you know, the big defense, just like the 85 bears. So, you know, I actually, we coached against the 85 bears. Now I'm already in the NFL by the time that's there, but so yeah, there's big time memories. I, I always really, one of my regrets, I always wanted to be on that coaching staff and it just never worked out. I, I interviewed with Neil Armstrong, but I was just a kid out of college football and he was great to me, but I, you know, they were really interested in experience and I totally understood it, but I did always really want to be a part of that. But, uh, you know, I think the bears are, are really talented. You know, I mean, they're three and oh, now they, you know, they've had some luck to drop in Detroit. I mean, two 16 point comebacks. I think that's historical. I don't think anybody's ever done that in a season uh, in the fourth quarter. So there's been some miracles. There's been a drop, but at the end of the day, they're three and oh, because they're pretty damn good. And they have a lot of skill on both sides of the ball. I think, you know, Foles, it's, it's, it's going to come down to the quarterback. You know, you're going to rise and fall with him now. I mean, you got plenty around them. Uh, you know, you got a good running back. I think, I think Robinson, of course, we played him years ago in Jacksonville. He's one of my best favorite players in the league. He looks totally healthy. Uh, Graham has given you a big red zone guy. You can run it. Uh, and then on defense, you got a bunch of impact players. I looked up the other day between Quinn, who I was the number one draft pick when I was in St. Louis, between Mac and Akeem Hicks, I think you have 176 sacks and about 50 strips. So we really don't want to be in third and long very much. And then you have two pro bowlers in the secondary and a lottery pick at linebackers. So you ought to be pretty doggone good, really. Uh-huh. And again, this is a validation game for both teams. I mean, it really is. Both teams are coming in, coming off of, uh, you know, good starts. Uh, you know, the one in eight opponents is, is obvious. Everybody talks about that. So there's doubters. And so one of these teams is going to validate itself as a pretty doggone team at the end of Sunday. Rick, I lied. One more because I can't resist now. Because uh, <laughs> you were the linebackers coach in 85 when the Colts played the Bears at Soldier Field. It was December 8, week 14, and a, and a 17-10 Bears win. Believe it or not, and, and, and Tom, you guys would have to go back. And, and I had the privilege of working with Iron Mike down in uh, New Orleans and you know, he was always a guy I had great admiration for. And we beat him the year before they got good in Baltimore. It was the game that he busted his hand at the, on the blackboard. Um, I think that probably was about 83. And he was just starting. And then the, then the 85 Bears, those guys, I mean, they rewrote the record book. I mean, you know, the, the, the Buddy Ryan to me, Buddy Ryan and Bill Walsh to me are the greatest innovators defensively and offensively of my lifetime, which is a long time. And, you know, Ryan's defense was phenomenal, but the Bears were a lot better on offense, you know, than people will ever know. I mean, you know, with Walter and McMahon in a good offensive line, you know, and the big receiver, uh, the kid from Tennessee that, you know, could get deep all the time. I mean, that was a that was just a great football team. It's almost amazing that it was just became a snapshot and didn't go on and on and on, to be honest with you. But, 
Yeah, the eighty the eighty five Bears were devastating. I mean, they were just devastating. That that defense, nobody had it figured out. You know, you know, as time went on, you know, people began to to, to figure out exactly how to. But it, in those early days, it was just devastating. I mean, you you hope that your quarterback made it out alive. Hey Jeff, I got to tell you one story about that game, though. Okay, so we played that game. It was really bad weather, and Steve Fuller was starting. Ditka came up to the offensive line and looked at us and said, hey, my five blocks of granite, I'm not going to run it. I'm not going <laughs> to throw the ball today. We're going to run it. We ran it the first 22 plays of that game. You know what? I just – I remember playing up in there. Uh, you know you know what was really interesting, and, and this has nothing to do with today, but – uh, we came back in there. I'll never forget it. With Mike Ditka, when as the coach of the say as the Saints, and we came back in up into Soldiers Field and played. And you you want to talk about? And Mike never said a word. But I mean, as assistant coaches, you want to talk about trying to get your guys up for a game? And it was amazing. All right, Rick, we'll let you go. Have a great yeah. season and uh, enjoy uh, your uh, maiden voyage with the Indianapolis Colts this year. Good talking to you. Thanks for the time. All right, guys. We'll talk again. Rick Venturi, radio analyst of the Indianapolis Colts. We'll continue with Bears All Access after this on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Hey, Bears fans, it's important to stay connected now more than ever. And at Motorola, we love making that possible with the new Razor. You can enjoy staying connected a little bit more. It's a phone. It's an accessory. It's an icon reinvented. Hello, Moto. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer, our final segment on Bears All Access. Tomorrow, Bears and Colts, 9 a.m. pregame noon kickoff on WBBM. Let's talk Nick Foles, Tom. Let's listen into a little bit how he's handled his career because it has not all been Super Bowl MVP trophies. There have been dips and valleys, and he's had to deal with failures and also how to embrace success. You said like St. Louis uh, being traded from Philadelphia. You know, even this last year in Jacksonville. You know, there there uh, definitely bright spots within those years, absolutely. But all in all, as a vocation, it was a lot of trials and um, just understanding who I am as a person and not letting my identity be framed in you know how many yards I throw for, how many touchdowns I throw for, or even winning the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, that's been a huge, huge part of my life and career is not holding tight to those things. Like I don't hold tight to the Lombardi trophy. I, I want the, you know, success to be a product byproduct of the little things each and every day and still into people's lives, using this as a platform to, you know, help different people and different things. And then the byproduct of that is I can step on the field and be a, a lot more free than if I put everything on a pedestal. Um, and I've, it's just shown throughout my career um, in my life, there's been more of a piece at going to work. There's still a lot of things that go on and it is, you know, at times a stressful situation, but you, the key is just learning how to alleviate stress by understanding that, you know, what I do is to glorify God first and foremost and not myself. And that, that helps me when I'm thrust into crazy situations. He sounds like a really level-headed guy. And when you have the trials and the successes and some of the failures that you have throughout a football career, when someone comes up to you and tells you you're cut or they tell you you're traded, you feel that now you have to reinvent yourself. you got to try to find out what, what my role can be on this football team and how can I improve. I know it, within that press conference, he said that Frank Reich, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, it has a, big, a lot of responsibility for the way he changes a player. But I like what I hear out of Nick, you know, and, and I think um, I respect it because I know how out of control I am all the time when you talk about situations that you're not in control of. 
Bill Lazor, he worked with him seven years ago in Philadelphia and the experience that he's gained then showing now. I think people probably underestimate the fact that a guy hasn't played football for a while, even a veteran, like some of the other veteran quarterbacks I've been around and, and a lot of them still like, even they may not like a lot of preseason time, but even that first series or so just to kind of get back in rhythm. When you think about it for Nick, he, he didn't have any of that, right? He just had to jump right in, in in the critical situation he was in. So I thought he handled that part of it really well and was, still was able to do probably some of the things that you're, that, that you're alluding to as far as, as uh, making some decisions out there. Um, in the pocket, you know, Nick, I think Nick it, it really is excellent as far as maintaining his balance, keeping bend in his knees, maintaining his strength as far as his base, even when he has to move in the pocket. And obviously that's so much of the practice time is for these quarterbacks is not only, you know, throwing when something's clean and on time, but when I do have to move in the pocket, you know, that's what John D. Filippo spends a lot of time with, but, but Nick is strong and he's athletic. Um, and so he can make those things and keep, still keep his body in a position uh, to make a, a good strong throw, I also think he he he's able to make those adjustments in the pocket and really maintain his focus down the field, which is which is critical. So if you can maintain your focus down the field and then physically keep yourself ready to make the throw, you, you got a chance to operate in an NFL pocket when it gets dirty. And, and I think Nick does both of those things, uh, which we did see. We did see that already on Sunday. D- do you like his ability out of the pocket and making plays from the pocket? Yeah, I do. But, you know, the thing about it to me is I'm, I'm hope I'm not over worrying about it, but I still want to see the run game as a major influence to overall what they can offer Nick Foles, because if they try to become one dimensional and throwing the ball a high percentage of the time, that's going to take away some of that deception at the line of scrimmage. And it's going to put more pressure on the offensive line. So I just hope that whatever the percentages are right now, run to pass, that they still keep that, you know, try to keep that number up there. It's 41.59 run pass percentage-wise. You know, 43, <laughs> I'd, I'd, be, I'd be okay with that, too. All okay. right, here's Juan Castillo, the Bears O-line coach, and what he's asking of his tackles, Charles Leno Jr. and Bobby Massey. We're working on, on consistency with Charles, you know, to be consistent with his set, to be consistent with his hands, and those were – that's what was, was, was um, when Charles and I talked about, it, and I think that's what you've seen from him—the consistency. He's been he's been playing square. You know, we do mix up our sets, you know, and he does a really good job. He's got really good uh, feet. You know, Charles, we've been working 30 minutes before practice, and that's a credit to those guys—the sacrifice that they said is. There's only one way linemen get better by doing something over and over and over. And it's hard when you only have 10 minutes of individual in practice. So that's why we start 30 minutes. So with Bobby, it was a little different. With Bobby, we were just trying to get him to play square initially, you know, try to stay square. It's hard to get beat inside or outside when you play square. And that's what we're working on. And now he's starting to play a little square. Now we go to the next step. The next step is the timing of the hands. And then once we get the timing of the hands, we'll go to where we start switching up some of the sets. So it's a progression for both guys, you know. But I just really have to say, you know, the, the, the work that they're putting in is, you know, they're sacrificing to get better. Tom, it sounds like pure offensive line talk right up your alley. It is. You know, the fortunate side for all offensive tackles this year in the NFL is there is no crowd noise. So if you think about the uh, these offensive tackles, if they would have been in Detroit, in, in Atlanta with the support of the crowd noise, we may be talking about a completely different performance. 
But what I like to hear is these offensive linemen and the construction of the fundamentals that Juan has put together, it's changing their games for a positive. I think this could be a game could get real gritty. What do you think? Like I said, it's an 80s game, <laughs> and it could get gritty. You know, I, again, and it is about the physical play of the offensive line and then how the defense reacts to it. When you think about some of the 80s and, and the Bears' defense of the 85 they never they they brought the action to the opponent. It was never, hey, let's wait to see what these guys try to do. It's like let's go get them from the from the beginning. All right, Tom, we're out of time. Thanks again. We'll appreciate it. Talk to you tomorrow. This is Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio six seventy the score. Thanks for listening to this Chicago Bears Network presentation of Bears All Access. Podcasts are available on chicagobears.com and on iTunes or download the official Bears mobile app. Bears All Access has been brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Miller Lite.